Welcome back, guys, to the JPS Education Portal Roundtable, and we are joined with Mackenzie Baker and Lauren Conlon. Welcome, guys. Hey. Welcome. <laughs> and, guys, we are talking about fat loss uh, this month, and obviously uh, here in Australia, summer is uh, around the corner, so plenty of people looking to get lean uh, for the warmer months, whereas obviously where Lauren's from in the States, America, as we call it, uh, you guys are going into winter, so uh, the summer shred is probably done and dusted for a lot of folk out your way. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to discuss a few, uh, yeah, very practical topics today. Ones that, if you're a coach, will definitely have benefit to your coaching of clients. Uh, and if you are a client, it will also help you to, yeah, I guess have an understanding as to how these guys coach their clients. So. Guys, let's start with some common struggles your fat loss clients may face. Lauren, let's kick it off with you. What are some of the most common issues that your clients uh, struggle with? So I would say that initially, a lot of people are thinking that when they're starting a diet, it's going to just like fall off the first week or two, right? And a lot of people have this perception or this misconception because, you know, a lot of, you know, trainers and coaches on social media are posting, oh, my clients lost 10 pounds in 10 days. And they're showing these insane transformations. And while there is a subset of individuals that might be able to lose really quickly early on, I actually find that it does take a few weeks to get things going. And this is just a common hurdle that I see a lot of clients deal with. Now, if you are a coach who took your client from a maintenance or surplus and then just totally bottomed them out, yes, you might see some more movement in the beginning, but typically most of us are not going to be doing that with clients. So part of it is just also finding like that true threshold of what is fat loss? Like what is a deficit? Because as we know, maintenance is a range. It's not just one number. So what seems like the upper end of maintenance and then, oh, maybe I'm in a deficit. It might actually just be the lower end of your maintenance and it might not be enough to stimulate fat loss. Um, but the coach still doesn't want to bottom things out to, to start with because that's not a smart strategy. Um, so usually I would just say a big misconception or misunderstanding is that the first you know week or two, you're going to lose 10 or 15 pounds. And I would say that that's usually quite the contrary, that it's going to be a little bit harder the first few weeks um, to actually find that threshold and that correct deficit. But then afterwards, uh, things typically seem to get going. And I guess when you are dealing with people who have that misconception, uh, how do you reassure them that this is okay and that this is just a part of the process? Because I can imagine first-time clients, if the scale's not moving, they're going to be very frustrated. They're going to feel like they're failing or the diet's not working. Potentially doubt you as the coach. How do you navigate that? Yeah, it really just comes down to the conversation that we just had here. It's really just sharing like and being honest, like, hey, I know that you probably thought that we might be dropping really, really quickly. But based on my experience, based on talking with other coaches, this is actually the norm, like you're doing nothing wrong. And it's often just about reassuring the client that they're on the right path. Most people are going to trust you. They just are maybe like, unsure when things are starting to maybe not go how they they thought um so it really just comes down to reassuring them like hey no like you're doing all the right things using the right language to be like hey you're you know you're checking the boxes you're doing xyz highlighting all the positive things that they're doing and then trying to shift their focus to maybe some other things they can focus on that week instead of just the scale right hey you know this week let's really aim to do this or whatever it might be. It could be a small little task, um, nothing crazy, but like a little to do for them so that they do place their focus and their intention somewhere else. And then typically, like I said, within a few weeks, it does get the ball rolling, but I'm really big on honesty. And I think that just having those discussions with clients and not keeping them in the dark, like feeling like, oh no, what am I doing wrong as a coach? Like, hey, no, like this is a normal part of the process. You're not messing up, reassuring them and reassuring them, sorry, that they are doing a good job. Awesome. Awesome. And Mac, as an anti-fat loss coach yourself, um, how do you approach uh, dealing with uh, these kind of issues that clients face? Well, um, I wouldn't say that I'm an anti-fat loss coach. Um, personally, for me, the biggest struggle I think clients seeking fat loss face uh, is, well, actually all or nothing thinking and the reason why I think that's the biggest struggle is because it impacts so many other areas of both their life and their fat loss efforts. It's kind of like, to me, I, I see it as the crux of a lot of issues. It's, it's kind of the core of a lot of issues. 
Um, the other thing I think people struggle with is going into a fat loss phase or endeavor and not actually thinking about how that's going to make their life better or even just impact their life and not taking that into account when setting an expectation of fat loss as well as thinking about what strategies are going to be appropriate and what rate and what level of intensity and how aggressive are you going to go? You know, what's the degree of restriction, not just in terms of calories, but also um, impacts on or, or restraint that needs to be, um, I guess, applied to life overall. So yeah, all or nothing thinking and not thinking about the bigger picture. I think they're the core of why people struggle. And uh, would you like me to go into how maybe I might navigate that with clients? Yeah, for sure. Yep. Okay. So all or nothing thinking is a, is a tricky one because it can come in many different forms. Um, personally, I think it is a combination of a big part of it is having good discussion. And if they've had instances in the past where they've faced a speed bump and what might be a small slip up, has that turned into a full blown, you know, write off, um, kind of going through, okay, how did that go for you? Run me through what the outcomes of that were. And now let's talk about what you might do differently next time. That in combination, so reflecting on previous instances where the what the hell effect has happened. Um, and also a little bit of discussion around actually weight loss, fat loss, any nutrition goal in health is not a product of being perfect. We don't actually know what perfect really is. And I would argue that perfect is something that actually considers how you want to live your life, which inherently creates room or it leaves inclusion of uh, indulgences, social occasions, and flexibility. I mean, I see that as more of a perfect diet than someone as what might colloquially, did I pronounce that right? Colloquially, anyway, um, be viewed as the perfect diet. So uh, as I said, yeah, a bit of, a bit of uh, discussion, asking those Socratic questions, Socratic questions, a bit of motivational interviewing, um, and then providing a little bit of education. Uh, and and in terms of the um, impact of the goal on life enjoyment and everything, that's really, again, same thing, um, motivation interviewing, asking questions. Uh, how will your life be different if you could click your fingers and achieve this goal? What would you be doing more of? What would you be doing less of? How would you be thinking, feeling differently? Have you considered the impact of these interventions? And going through this, and this is why I personally place so much importance on um, consultations as a coach. Yeah, yeah. I think the all or nothing thinking is very common. And you're right, it does trip a lot of people up, especially when they're starting um, out in their fat loss journey because if they do make a mistake, eat out, or they don't follow things, quote unquote, perfectly, um, it can lead to a lot of self-sabotage and uh, yeah, hopping on and off the plan, which is uh, detrimental. So do you want to give some examples of this all or nothing thinking and then how you would, I guess, address those? Because I think that it's a very common issue that people face um, and it can vary from person to person when it comes to how their binary perspective of um, their fat loss journey um, yeah, is viewed. Yeah, so a million and one different ways all or nothing thinking can show itself in a fat loss or nutrition endeavor. Uh, for example, it might be I can't socialize uh, because it's going to impact my goals or if I do socialize, I've messed up and now the whole weekend is a write-off and they feel that diminishing self-efficacy uh, and they want to sort of give up and throw in the towel. Um, other examples would be just generally being rigid on really, uh, I guess, precise expectations. Like, for example, I have to track everything I eat. I have to weigh everything I eat. And uh, I have to hit my macro targets to the nearest plus or minus three grams. Now, uh, I think that can be that can be examples of, of all or nothing thinking and the what the hell effect has actually been described in the literature and this is not a direct quotation but essentially um, a complete abandonment of nutrition goals upon uh, any sort of disruption to food rules or food expectations um, and in terms of again how you would navigate this again I think it's a, a big thing is reflection 
So I'm also a huge fan of self-monitoring. Uh, the clients, you know, filling in some kind of food thought journal. Uh, not only is it a food log, but it's also what happened, why did it happen? And then, you know, going through any key moments throughout the week in a, in a consultation call and reflecting upon them and saying, okay, what would you do differently next time? So, um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, and I think there's so many things to unpack there, but I I guess uh, a lot of the self-monitoring that you mentioned then is somewhat qualitative. And I really like that from a address, well, for addressing some of those more behavioral type issues that people might have, whether it's um, cognitive or more, um, I guess, actionable type behavior. Um, but when it comes to the quantitative stuff in a fat loss diet, Lauren, how much importance do you place on tracking and measuring certain variables when we are trying to achieve fat loss and maybe some of the different, I guess, uh, categories of fat loss goals where more quantitative might be warranted um, than uh, some other fat loss goals. Yeah, it's a really great distinguisher. And I love that you you said that because I think it really depends. Everything is dependent on the client's goals and what type of client they are. And I think oftentimes the messaging from people can be super dogmatic in terms of saying, hey, this is, you know, this is the optimal approach. And they're discussing the physique athlete when, you know, the coach might be listening and they're listening, they're only working with lifestyle clients, right? And then vice versa, right? So I think that we really need to be more specific when we're sharing messages like, hey, this is who this is intended for. So if you are any type of competitive athlete, whether that's a physique athlete or a performance athlete, and for most performance athletes, they would either need nutrition to fuel their performance and or they could potentially be making weight, um, whether that's a, a weigh-in or they're just trying to drop, you know, they might be doing a, a weigh-in where it's a transient weigh-in, like they're just doing that the week of, or they're doing a um, they're making a weight class and they're trying to like gradually drop down. So I would say in those instances, it's much more important to focus on quantitative information because we have a strict deadline and we have strict protocols and targets that we need to hit, right? If you're getting on a bodybuilding stage, you need to be, you know, 10% body fat as a female. We're need, we're going to need to have more quantitative measures because of that timeline and because of the strict rigidity and the extremeness of the sport. Um, same thing if you're a jujitsu athlete and you're trying to make weight for a new weight class, there's a little bit less wiggle room if you're competing for a championship in three months. Um, if you're a lifestyle client, I think with without really a hard timeline, even if you have a hard timeline, like let's say you're doing a photo shoot or you have an event, there's a lot more wiggle room in terms of qualitative information. So I think that it really comes down to first and foremost, who is your client and what is going to help them and their life. And I love what Max said about, you know, how is this going to change your life? And for a competitive athlete, you know, being more rigid in a, in a sense in terms of having more quantitative measurements to follow and objectives, that's probably going to enhance their life because that's going to be towards their goal that they've expressed and that they're seeking to work towards hopefully in a, in a healthy, positive way. But it's a different discussion, right? Um, for the lifestyle client, it, the, the actual number might not matter quite, quite so much. Um, so I would say that first and foremost, it really comes down to the type of client that you're working with, how extreme their goals are, what timeline are you working on? Um, and then for, for that client, it might not even always be you know, numbers, we could still have, you know, oftentimes we hear numbers, we just think scale weight and macros. Uh, we could have maybe macro ranges, depending on how far out someone is. We could be tracking uh, habits. Something that I like to do is have these foundational habits that people can track because sometimes it's just nice to have. I'm a huge proponent of qualitative data, but sometimes it is just nice to be able to rank yourself on a one to five scale and to be able to look back on that over the week, right? So even if it is something that's a little bit more qualitative in nature, right? Like hunger, you can still have a quantitative number placed on that. And sometimes, especially for people who are more numbers minded, that can be really beneficial. Every client is going to be a little bit different. Right? I have some clients who are much more qualitative minded, and then there's other clients who are much more quantitative minded. So we have to also blend our methods depending on what is best for that client. And I might push someone towards um, if I want them to be focusing more on subjective qualitative information, but they're a more quantitative numbers based person, I might focus more on, hey, let's let's rate this on a scale. And then alternatively, if someone even if they have a strict goal, but they're more of a qualitative person, I will 
focus more on that and extract information from their check-ins based on that and then apply any differences to the numbers that's necessary. So I think part of it is knowing your client as well. And then that way you can adjust the type of feedback that you're asking for and you're receiving. Yeah, I really like that. I think you address two very important things. Obviously, the nature of the goal itself and what uh, approach that's going to require, but the importance of like those individual differences. Like some people are a little bit more neurotic than others. They need to have control of the numbers. They need to know exactly what's going in, exactly what's going out, and they actually enjoy that because that's how their brain operates. And I think uh, trying to get somebody who operates like that to just, yeah, you know, portion sizes, like, you know, size of your palm or how much my palm, you know, is it, is it the whole palm? Is it, you know, an inch above my palm? Like what, what do you mean? They'll have conniption if you are, you don't give them specific instructions. Um, so Mac, on the other end of the spectrum, how, how much can you get away with, I guess, in terms of not having a tracking approach in your experience uh, where you're focusing on the quantitative stuff, like how much of an impact can the more qualitative, I guess, uh, approach have on a fat loss phase? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who just wouldn't buy into the idea that they can lose a serious amount of weight or fat um, by just making changes to their portions and, you know, tracking things a little bit uh, less quantitatively. So, uh, yeah, what's your experience there? And how would you get someone over the line to have a more qualitative approach as opposed to, you know, tracking the numbers? Oh, wow. Yeah, a bit to unpack there. But first, I'll just echo what Lauren said there about how it's an issue where physique athletes are talking about their approach and then people who are their audience who aren't interested in competing are thinking, oh, well, that's what I have to do to achieve fat loss. And I've actually had people reach out to me who said, I didn't know that there was a such thing as nutrition coaching that didn't involve either macros or a meal plan. And I see that as a, a problem in the communication space that actually there are other ways. And these people require a lot of objectivity. Uh, you know, a physique athlete, you know, you're going to have a crap ton of objectivity in there. It's not going to work if you're doing the sort of approaches that you alluded or mentioned there, uh, Jacob. Now, um, I've you can get, you, it depends on this. Obviously, it depends on the situation. In terms of how much fat loss you can get with a more uh qualitative approach you know less less metrics um less objectivity it really is going to depend on the situation um but it the thing the reason why i prefer, i tend to lean towards it in most client settings is because it has more long-term applicability if you are working on your sensitivity to your hunger and fullness cues and you are building the confidence that you can eat with them based eat with them in mind and you're working on food legalization in the long term this is going to better position you to be able to eat in a conscious manner a more health seeking manner and make more make more conscious food decisions as well as being more aware of when it's what your stopping point is when you're eating a meal so um i think in the long term I actually might be more effective because a macro tracking approach is sort of like a phase it doesn't sort of give you necessarily all of the tools you need. It will help you learn stuff, but it doesn't give you all the tools you need to be able to eat in a conscious health-seeking way for life. So I would almost argue that in many ways, the subjective, like less quantitative approach might be more effective in the long run. Now, yeah, again... The anti-fat loss stuff. <laughs> no, it's not anti-fat loss. It's more, it's more about health like eating in a conscious health-seeking manner and then the fat loss, the weight management kind of takes care of itself because when we think about the diet that will put someone within, say, the desirable body weight or BMI range, it's going to be a diet that is high in fruit and vegetables. They're going to be connected to their internal hunger and fullness cues. They're going to have confidence that they can hit that stopping point and enjoy social occasions but not turn it into a full-blown, you know, write-off fest. Um, so if someone was resistant to that, you have to tread that line of giving giving them what they want versus what they need. Now, if someone was like, just put me in coach and they're like not a physique athlete, they're not a uh, weight cut athlete or anything like that. They're just like a punter and they're like, put me in coach. And you know, as a coach that maybe like in the long run, you've said that you have issues with overeating and all or nothing thinking, you know that maybe they need to work on things like, you know, building up confidence and trust in their ability to eat. Uh, based on internal cues, blah, blah, blah. But you want to also give them what they want. Now, 
inevitably uh, giving them what they want might not work out too well. And then maybe six, eight weeks down the line, you ask them, hey, how's that going for you? And they go, yeah, uh, didn't go that well. Uh, I haven't really had much consistency. And then at that point, they might be more open to listening to what your ideas are, but you've respected their autonomy whilst by providing them with the approach or guiding them rather through the approach in a safe manner that they want to do. And I just want to add to and that. I think Laura, if you want to add to that, you just unmute yourself. Oh, am I muted? Now we can hear Perfect. Oh, okay. Maybe it broke up. Uh, I was like, wait, did I? My voice is a little, I, I was just at an event speaking, so my voice is a little bit hoarse, so maybe it just kind of cut out. <laughs> um, so one thing that I think when we're having this discussion also is, so say somebody has been tracking macros or they've found um, a lot of benefits from it. And I, I touched on this actually at our at our presentation at, at the event, the UBC. I look at this as as a continuum right? So I really like to focus on foundational habits first, then thinking about tracking metrics, macros, and then you can apply more of an intuitive approach. And in my mind, the idea of this continuum is that it is really a sliding scale so that it's not necessarily like one, two, three, we're able to go up and down as needed based on what the client does need. So if somebody is listening and they are tracking macros, or if you are coaching clients who predominantly are using macros um, as the metric, this after a period of time you can certainly go to these these other approaches like mac is talking about with a lot of success because now you've had this this kind of foundation in terms of the tracking so just because someone is is tracking right now doesn't mean that they can't apply what mac is talking about i think that that's kind of that next step um, but for a lot of people using the tracking portion is really helpful for them to take that next step successfully um not for everybody, but I do think that for a lot of people, it gives them, even if it's three to six months, right? Um, they can really have like a launching pad for them to have more success in the long run. But as always, it's about how are you how are you using the tracking, right? You can be a very conscious macro tracker um, or you can be a very unconscious macro tracker. You can lose sight of your hunger and your satiety signals or you don't have to. So I think that it all comes down to that intentionality and that reflection that the client has. And also going back to what type, what does that client need right now? Are they a more numbers-based person? Or are they not? Um, so I think that no matter what approach that you take, what is most important from what everybody here is saying is that there is a deep intentionality and a reflection and a understanding of what you're doing on a deeper level and not just let me weigh this and not even look at it and have no idea how much, you know, four ounces of chicken is. If you've weighed four ounces of chicken several times, you're going to know how much it is if you're paying attention. So don't let the numbers or the scale weight supersede what your eyes are showing you or what, you know, your satiety signals are, are showing you. Um, but I think all these things can be true at once. Ultimately, we just have to be more reflective and help coach clients to be more reflective in that process. I really like that. I think it's critical to understand that the application of an approach determines, uh, I guess, the outcome or what happens with that approach, right? It's like you can mindlessly track or you could track calories and macros and be on your phone on my fitness pal hours every day, you know, playing macro Tetris, and that's going to absolutely drain your you know, cognitive resources and be an absolute nightmare for you. You're going to hate it and it's probably not going to work. Or you could plan your food out in advance, work out your portion sizes, take note of what they actually look like, what it feels like, and then not track for the rest of the week, for example. Um, so I think there's, yeah, very uh, important uh, points to make there. It's it's how you apply the approach, which is, which is critical. And yeah, something I wanted to talk to you guys uh, about was, once a client has begun their fat loss phase, obviously there comes a point where you need to make an adjustment to keep the fat loss uh, coming because they're going to reach due maintenance. There's no longer going to be fat loss. So Lauren, what are some of the, I guess, criteria or the yeah checklist prerequisites, uh, whatever you like to call it, uh, for you to adjust someone's uh, calories or expenditure? And what does that look like? Yeah, so oftentimes if somebody is stalled out that week, I'm not going to be like, whoa, better drop the hammer, right? Like we got to go. Now, again, context, if someone is making weight for a competition in a few weeks, or someone is a physique athlete getting on stage with a shorter timeline, we have to be realistic, right? I'm all about like, let's take our time and let's go really slow and go with the flow. But at some point for certain athletes, you, you can't do that. 
for a lifestyle client, which is going to be for, for most people who are either listening to the call or coaching um, those types of clients, generally speaking, I would, if it's one week of no movement, I'm not really going to be too concerned. Um, after a second week, then it's going to be, okay, like, let's look into some of these factors, right? Because most people can plus or minus a scale weight of a few pounds or a, a kilo or so um, pretty easily. Now, if you've worked with a client for a long time, you will generally know their their fluctuations, right? Like I have some clients who, despite their best efforts, they fluctuate a lot more than others. And some people really just don't fluctuate much at all. And um, this is especially true of a client I found has been overweight. Um, and oftentimes potentially they've either been overweight and now they're at a reduced weight um, or they still have like a lot of loose skin. Uh, I just, I just often find that those clients typically fluctuate more. Um, and then certain clients, certain female clients who do experience um, a lot of weight fluctuations around their cycle. Some don't, some do. So it's going to be, you know, coming down to like, all right, let's put all the pieces together. You know, where are you if you're female in your cycle? Um, did you, you know, did you have any big changes this week in terms of, you know, electrolyte balance? Did you have a lot more sodium or a lot less? Did you have a lot more water or a lot less? Um, how will you, how is your uh, regularity and your digestion? Were you sleeping this week? Did you have, did you list out 18 stressors in your check-in and then go, I don't know why I wasn't making any progress this week. It's like, Hey, Hey, hey like, let's check this out. And oftentimes it's usually not just one of those because every system is, you know, going to feed off of each other. So generally speaking, there's going to be a few of those points that are going to be off. Of course, the obvious is with somebody adherent to their diet, whatever that plan might look like to them. Um, and adherence doesn't necessarily just mean zeroing out their macros, but adherence to whatever protocol that you guys have, have created. So that's like, of course, that's number one, right? Ha has someone been adherent first and foremost? Um, if they have, then we go to the next tier of let's look at everything else. And after a week or two of that, then we can say, all right, maybe it's time to make an adjustment. Um, low hanging fruit is if somebody is either not very active during the day um, or they aren't really doing a lot of additional expenditure is to add in either some additional steady state or just additional steps and activity to, to their plan. Um, I'm not a fan of someone who like, I'm not just going to like jack up someone's cardio out of nowhere, right? And make it unmanageable, especially for a lifestyle client. Uh, but most people are very, very sedentary during the day. Uh, most people work desk jobs and they're getting virtually no steps. And I'm like, if you are a relatively normal weight individual with a probably a, you know, more metabolically adapted metabolism after years of dieting and you are moving 3000 steps a day, we're just not going to be able to eat thousands and thousands of calories and lose body fat, right? Like that's again, another conversation of like, what are these realities here? Um, so I would say that generally speaking, if someone is on the low end of that, we're going to increase that. Um, and then if it is time for a diet adjustment, it would primarily come from carbohydrates and a little bit of fats. I'm not really going to change protein until someone is very body weight reduced to where now their protein intake is like really mismatched from you know, where they started their diet to the end. And again, that's going to typically be someone who is maybe a physique athlete who is, who has lost a significant amount of weight. Um, but generally for most lifestyle clients, they're already struggling to eat enough protein. So probably not going to, not going to adjust that. Um, and then lastly, this is a very qualitative aspect, uh, but for my more advanced clients who we've done this work to get more in tune with their their bodies and themselves, I will ask them like, Hey, do you feel like you're going to drop or do you feel like it's, it's, it's time to make an adjustment. And the clients who who know that feeling can can share that with me really easily. Um, typically, again, this is going to be a more advanced client or someone who's been practicing this for quite some time. Like I know, like I'm just, if I'm being honest with myself, if I'm in a fat loss phase, like I know when it's time to make an adjustment just based on how I feel. Um, but that's a skill that has to be developed over time. So for those clients, I will also ask that, hey, be honest with me. Are you feeling like we're going to drop um, or do we need to make a push? And lastly, I'm kind of on the edge with someone in terms of like, should we make an adjustment? Should we not? Um, I will usually have them send in some kind of secondary, just like touch point. I do once weekly, weekly check-ins. So for, as a frame of reference, so I'll have someone, Hey, in the next three to four days, send me weight and photos and we'll make adjustments. Again, this is going to be for, for a competitive client. Um, but that's also another strategy for people. If they're kind of on the fence about, no, I'm not really sure if I should make this change. Um, 
and then and then you can do that and make some adjustments hey you know your sleep has been trash all week and you haven't drank any water let's fix those things and then reach out to me you know at the end of the week and we can maybe make an adjustment if you haven't had any movements so i know that was a long-winded answer but wanted to cover all the things <laughs> you certainly covered all of it and it aligns uh pretty closely with like my approach as well which is first address adherence like you have to determine whether or not the stall is a perceived stall or an actual stall, right? So a perceived stall would be if adherence has been low, if there might be inaccurate measurements. So like the timing of scale weight measurements, like technique errors, if they're you know taking progress photos, whatever it is. And then the third is like confounding variables, as you said. So, you know, fluctuations in scale weight due to uh, water intake, activity level, sleep, stress, all those kind of things. Um, and then once you sort of tease those out, it's like, okay, we're in an actual stall. Then it's like, okay, cool. Do we have room to make an adjustment? Is that something that we need to do? And so forth. So I really like uh, the approach uh, that you outlined there. So Mac, with your approach being something that is typically going to be more long-term uh, behavior focused, um, how would you make an adjustment uh, to somebody's nutrition uh, when it's not necessarily tracking calories and macros in a more quantitative approach? Um, what's uh, the go there? How do you do that? Yeah, so someone's, you know, trying to progress towards a goal and then they stop achieving that goal. Um, I instantly add 2,000 steps, reduce calories instantly by 10%, tell them they don't want it bad enough. And if that happens for another week, I bench them, but yeah. they keep paying. Just yeah. kidding. Um, <laughs> so I'll echo again what you said, Lauren. Um, it depends on the situation. Do we need to be proactive or can we be a little bit more reactive? Can we wait a little bit? Um, if we have a time-restricted goal, it's sort of like we might need to troubleshoot and make an adjustment now rather than just kind of give yourself a bit more time, see if that weight loss whoosh kind of comes that we expect. Um, if we have seen a plateau, um, first thing is to determine, again, is it an actual plateau? Uh, if it is an actual plateau, then we go and troubleshoot why. Now, that's when we might differ depending on whether the goal is high level and they're using a lot of objectivity and numbers and data versus sort of like more of that, what you said, Jacob, the longer term style thing. And now what I will say is that with, I guess, how you would call them lifestyle clients or more like long-term general health weight management style clients, um, usually the reason why they're not dropping uh, is very, very obvious, very, very quickly. I went on holidays um and xyz happened i had a tough week at work and i had more after dinner i you know certain menstrual cycle factors so it could also be not adherence it could be other factors that we need to consider oh, i had terrible sleep all week blah 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 now at that point it becomes the question of do we make adjustments do we make changes or do we just slide back into previous expectations or routine and and wait and you know the pros and cons to each will be discussed uh, but if it is a case of no we need to make a change then it's sort of like okay well firstly what is the problem why did it happen can we deal with that problem can we eliminate that problem from the the picture if the answer is no we actually can't eliminate the problem then we look at things like plan b's we look at next best feasible option or BFOs as I like to call them. Or if it's something like emotional eating, for example, or eating due to boredom or stress, we might look at a non-food coping mechanism. So people use food as a coping strategy to a lot of negative feelings, emotions that they experience. Is there something else that can solve the same problem without having the side effect on impacting the goal in mind? Um, so it would sort of be, again, collaboration, discussion, unpacking, what happened, what can we do about it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I wanted to just, sorry, be a bit of an go off on a tangent person here, and I apologize. Now, before we mentioned, or there was discussion around, if someone's, you know, done tracking for a while, they're going to be out of eyeball, like, you know, that's 150 grams of chicken, or like they're going to have that baseline knowledge. And I, I would agree with that. They're going to be able to build meals. They're going to know rough appropriate portion sizes and whether the calories are appropriate for that however there is also an argument and i'm not too sure i want to preface this by saying i'm not too sure what side of the fence that i sit on and it's probably more of a case-by-case -case basis 
But there is also a strong argument that a period of macro tracking or using external metrics to regulate food intake actually impairs your ability to eat with internal regulation or intuitive eating or eating competence in the long run because it is causing you to not use your internal cues, not think about them and also override them. And that is the argument. And this is the thing I see a lot of people say, oh, I can eat without tracking, which they call intuitive eating, which is not what intuitive eating actually is. It's more than that. They say, I, the reason why I can intuitively eat, and remember, I'm not the, not the real definition, the Insta definition, is because I tracked macros for four years. Now, that is potentially incorrect because there's no part of intuitive eating that says draw back on previous experiencing macro tracking where you you know looked at 150 grams of chicken and you put it on a, a scale like you're not referring to that past experience that's not what intuitive eating is so i just wanted to throw that little one in there as a little bit of a you know controversial point and again i'm not sure what side of the fence i sit on i think it's it's both i think there's pros and cons to each but all i'm saying is that there is an argument against the idea of a phase of tracking promoting long-term internal regulation. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you've just thrown a spanner in the works. I was, I had this nice flow of where the conversation was going to go. Um, and now you've, uh, yeah, you, fucked it. you have, you have fucked it. But every time you do this, uh, you just look like Dr. Evil more and more, you know, I, I, know, I, you got, I don't know if you guys have seen Austin Pound fire the laser. Bro, <laughs> I used to have the triple box set. All right. Oh, right. So do I. I'm glad. Same page there. Um, okay, cool. So Mac, it sounds like we'll get back to those points potentially on a separate podcast because uh, they are very interesting, but warrant a separate discussion. So uh, when it comes to addressing some of the issues that you were talking about, it seems like that was an adherence related issue, like a more non-persisting, uh, not following the, the plan consistently with some emotional eating, potentially social pressures, um, influencing their calorie intake. And that's what you're navigating there. But let's say somebody has done everything you've said, um, you know, and they haven't had that emotional eating or social pressures. I guess what you were trying to say there is you're trying to identify the pockets where calorie intake might be higher or beyond what is appropriate for their goal. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right, mate. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, when it comes to adherence issues, I guess this is one that you started to touch on there. Lauren, we'll come to you. How do you address adherence issues? And I guess it's important to identify that adherence and misreporting, uh, you know, there's different types of issues related to that. You could have somebody who doesn't really start the plan, um, people who misreport and, you know, maybe fudge the numbers or maybe they're, you know, intentionally telling you, you know, little lies or whatever it is because they don't want to let you down or to feel bad, whatever the case is, or they might just be inconsistent with their uh, execution of the plan. So do you want to maybe discuss some of the common, I guess, themes around misreporting and adherence issues and why they're important to address? Yeah, so I would say that it really comes down to the client's experience level. And this is not an always, right? Like sometimes clients who have more experience can still have adherence issues or reporting issues, right? I just had a client who's been a physique athlete for years. You know, she's been pretty on top of her stuff for for quite some time. And she, I don't know, do you guys use liquid, but like, uh, sorry, butter spray over there? Like, like it's, um, it's like a, it's like butter, but it's, it, in the States, it's called, I can't believe it's not butter and it's like a spray and it's, it's, it's marketed as zero calories or, or virtually no calories. Right. If you do like a it's like a, it's like a 0.6 second spray, which is like nothing. Right. And she was, you know, in my wildest dreams, I would never imagine that someone would use more than a few sprays of that, because first of all, I think that would be repulsive. But second of all, like, why would you just be using so much of this anyways? my client, um, calling her fake ass Paula Dean. No, <laughs> she was using quite a bit of it, not because her numbers were so low, but because she just genuinely likes it. And she was like, Hey, I have something to share with you. And I was like, what? <laughs> She's like, I've been using probably close to 200 calories of fake butter spray. And I was like, excuse me? Like what? She's like, I had no idea. Like it's, you know, it's listed as, you know, 
virtually a no calorie food. But then when you actually look at it, um, you know, and you figure out how much you're using and I was like, oh my goodness. So sometimes things like that are so extreme that are revealed over time. Generally speaking, that's not the issue that your client might be having. Um, but oftentimes it comes back to, again, regardless of someone's you know, experience or their goal, it comes down to asking enough questions on a weekly basis. So that's why I'm so big on, in terms of the coach, making sure that your weekly check-ins are asking adequate questions. Because if you're asking adequate questions, you're going to be able to get a full picture of what the client is potentially experiencing. And then from there, you'll be able to troubleshoot because then you can kind of weave different things together and paint this bigger picture. Um, so ultimately, that's that's how you're going to find often the adherence problems, whether that is a, you know, mistracking or a misnumbering, or to your point, um, not like sometimes people don't want to tell you, right. But if you're asking the right questions, you can kind of read between the lines and see a difference in the way that they're communicating. And it's a very small perceptive shift, but that is a time where you could be like, you know, in a, in a, in a gentle and open way, like, Hey, you know, I've noticed, you know, maybe you've, you know, talked about this for a few weeks or your tone has changed here, um, something going on, you know, and, and then you can kind of start to ask more questions and then people will open up to you. Um, just like some clients, like everyone's going to be different in terms of qualitative versus quantitative. There are some clients we all know who will tell us every single thing that happens in their life, but then there are other clients who we are at the mercy of what they're sharing with us, right? Like they could be living you know, for lack of a better term, like two separate lives, you know, they could be living like their, their certain life and then the life that they're sharing with us. And ultimately, like we're at the mercy of what they're sharing. So all we can do is set them up for success by, you know, asking the right questions, being very open and honest with our communication and, you know, creating that space where they feel like they can share with us. And I think that that's really important. So regardless of like where the client's at in terms of experience or what their goal is, that's going to be how you're going to navigate any of the adherence issues. And the other thing that this, why asking the right questions is so important, and um, Mac talked about this earlier, but reflection, I just really want to hammer home on this. Re reflecting is so important uh, because you could, you know, lack of adherence is like a really general basic thing, right? There's 1500 ways that somebody could be non-adherent and we could maybe have our rough idea, right? I could probably nail down 80, 90% of someone's story, but I don't know what that other 10% might be. So by them reflecting on it and then getting back to me and sharing maybe where those issues were, you know, I had a client who pretty is, is pretty on track most of the time, again, in terms of what our metrics are. And then he reported not being on track for, for on his terms. Right. And I was like, listen, like, you know, this is obviously not something, this is not your norm. Um, I want you to take while it's fresh in the next few days, I want you to sit down and reflect on, you know, what happened in this situation. And he was able to send back a really great synopsis and a summary in terms of like, here's what happened. Here's how I felt. This is what I want to do about it, et cetera, et cetera. I wouldn't have been, I would have known kind of, I would have gotten pretty close, but that last, you know, five or 10% of the story is what's really going to allow us to make those changes because they're specific to that client. So I don't really have any direct you know, measures, but those are like kind of the hierarchy and overall themes that you can use for literally every client when we're discussing an adherence issue. Yeah, I think it's just always a good idea as a coach to try and get to the point where you can visualize or even list like what happens day by day in a client's life um, and like where they're at, what they're doing. And if you can get to that point, obviously through asking good questions or having them be able to share enough information with you, you can start to really tease out like where the issues lie. Uh, so I like that approach. Mac, what about you? Yeah, I, I love that. Um, one thing I, that you mentioned there, Lauren, was uh, create the safe. I can't remember the quote, the words exactly, but it was something like uh, where you've created the safe space for, to have those discussions. And I think that that highlights why tough love, tough love coaching is not effective because if someone feels safe to be honest with you, like it's a non-judgmental thing, you're there to help them, you're, you're meant to meet them where they're at and work with them rather than put them down, you know, people will like, if people have sort of slipped up, if they feel shame, they're less likely to tell you that or they might stop checking in, they might not reply and then that's when they slowly fade away and then you never hear from them again. So I think, uh, yeah, creating that safe space is absolutely paramount. What do you reckon, Jacob? I agree, but I just want to work with winners, man. Like if, if you're not a winner and you're not losing, you know, 0.5 to 1% of your body weight per week. Um, you're dropped. I don't want to know you. 
you know, you can go work with another coach, anti-fat loss Mac. I would <laughs> no. say just those numbers oftentimes again, and, and, and we've touched on this, there are some clients that are just really quantitative and, and I want to support that. Right. And it's, I, you know, of course, anything can be taken to an extreme and taken to a decrement um, and create issues. However, I don't think that people being quantitatively minded is necessarily a negative thing because there's still ways we can quantitatively measure subjective progress or subjective mm-hmm. ratings. But uh, we already touched on that. But I do want to say to that point that the kind of the joke of like the 0.5 to 1%, whatever it was, that still is very common and that messaging is very common. So clients are thinking that like, hey, how how quickly am I going to lose? What's our goal? Wait, what's this? What's that? Unless you're a weight cut athlete where we got to be, you know, 60 kilos on the dot, it doesn't matter, you know, and I just had a, I had a consult call with a client who was very overweight and, you know, he was, had, had good intentions and and there was a lot of great things, but he was asking just normal questions because he, he just truly doesn't know kind of where to start. And he was like, well, what should my goal weight be? You know, I see people who are my height who range from 200 pounds to 260 pounds. So I like their physiques. And I was like, exactly. Because there's always, you know different structures, different muscle mass, different, all these different things. And I was like, I would be lying if I told you what your goal weight should be right now. I go, that's not really relevant. We've never worked together. I don't know what your body's going to look like in 10 pounds or in 50 pounds. You need to lose weight for health reasons because you're in a not you know safe place right now in terms of some of the, the issues that you're dealing with. So you do need to lose weight and body fat for your health. But the number and how much that's going to improve, I would be lying if I said that. So just in general, for the coaches listening, like it's, you know, we again have to just have this open discussion with clients like, hey, it's not necessarily about this amount because you might lose 0% one week and then 2% or whatever it might be, right? Like you, it's not always a linear thing. And sometimes we can make an adjustment and people make no progress. Sometimes you make an adjustment and you make more progress than you expected. So it's never just like, do, 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 do. like that would be great and I've worked with maybe a handful of people who it's kind of like every week we're we're bang on with a new drop but I would say that that's like the 0.1% of clients I totally agree I think for most people it's good to have some kind of short-term and long-term goal I think people need something to aim for otherwise it can be a very uh yeah non- fulfilling process if there's no sense of direction like where are we going like most people need some direction or at least something to to aim for and that doesn't always have to be scale weight loss but i think in most cases in the context of fat loss like a scale weight loss is what is going to you know give us direction right um but i think more importantly what i try to focus on with most of my clients is cool we want to lose this amount of weight this is our goal weight we need to lose x amount of weight per week to get there it's not always going to be like that but if we get really good at these things, that's going to drive you there. So instead of putting the cup before the horse, uh, I like to focus on you know learning how to freaking ride that horse and do all the things within the fat loss phase, uh, all the behavior stuff, like really, really good. And I think that can uh, negate some of these, I guess, binary issues around should we aim to lose a certain amount of weight per week or should we have a goal weight? It's like it's not an either or situation. Like it's always case by case. Some clients I literally say, I don't care. I don't want you to weigh yourself. We're not going to focus on that. I want you to get really good at these things. And that's yeah. fantastic for some people. For other people, if you just told them that, hey, we're not going to worry about scale weight. We're not going to try to lose fat. They will go find another coach. And that's the reality of it. Some people, like, it, you know, we can have all these uh, great intentions around not wanting to do harm by our clients. And we don't want to fuck them up by, you know, making them track calories and macros. But at the end of the day, um, your ability to help people is inspired by, not only what you do, but how long you're able to work with someone. And I think it's really important to, like Max said earlier, be willing to give them a little bit what they want as well as what they need. And in most cases, what they want is that fat loss goal. They want to see the scale weight go down. And if you just take away what they want, like they're going to be very displeased with your coaching service. Um, So you need to give them that, but then give them what they need, which is usually eating related competencies. And there's different competencies that apply to fat loss phases as Lauren has mentioned in her continuum. Um, And I think that's what we really need to double down. It's like, if you do all these, yeah, you will enhance your opportunity or the likelihood that you're going to lose your target rate of loss each week and reach your goal. Um, But if you're focusing on getting so, you know, good at doing all the behaviors within the, um, you know, constraints of the phase, 
like that's way more rewarding than uh, the outcome. And hopefully you can shift their, you know, I guess perspective of what success looks like um, over time. But yeah, I agree with everything you guys said, Mac, I'm sure you've got a few things you want to add there. <laughs> yeah. So a bit of opening a can, I feel like the can of the, uh, yeah. the uh, process goals versus the outcome goal thing was just, you know, we got the, we got the the fork and knife and we're just kind of opening the can there. So I just want to open a little bit more. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's important that people have, you know, like more of that weight goal can be sometimes very helpful depending on the person and what they want. Again, you, you often have to give them that because they're going to go to macro coach Steve down the road at any time. Fitness is going to be like, cuz, cuz, this is what you need. You know, 1500 calories. Don't worry about it. You don't want that shit. Um, so you can actually though create a source of progress assessment in terms of habit building. So, you know, how many green lights were you for consuming fruit in your breakfast across this past week? And you can compare that from the week before. And that can be a way of assessing progress that is independent to how much weight did you lose and how far away from your end goal of body weight loss are you actually? The good thing about this is it creates a more frequent opportunity to celebrate a milestone or a win. And when we have more frequent opportunities to feel like we are progressing, more so than when the goal is so far out of reach because you know, you've still got another 20 kilos to lose, you're going to feel more confident in your abilities that, in other words, your self-efficacy is going to be enhanced. And when we feel confident in our ability to do something, when we feel good at something, we're probably going to be more motivated to do it. So I think it's important to try and inject as much of that into an approach as possible within one's, someone's tolerance and someone's willingness to actually consider those things. But I think if you can emphasize that and place a minimum effective level of emphasis on the more outcome stuff, the body weight stuff, the appearance-based stuff, you are A, reducing risk, you are B, moving someone away from all or nothing thinking, C, promoting their self-efficacy and their level of confidence. Was that A, B, C? I think I said one, five, <laughs> nine or something. Bruce Wellen. Sorry. Yeah. Probably Mac, skipped one. <laughs> I, uh, I think you guys have not. no excuse. It's morning over there, so you should be firing on all cylinders. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. Uh, Mac, I totally agree with what you said. I think uh, that echoes a lot of my approach as well. Lauren, is there anything that you wanted to add before we wrap up? No, I think I touched. I, I just really wanted to add that one point. I think this is a fantastic discussion, and it kind of just sounds like we need a part two or a continuation rather yeah, than maybe a part two. Yeah, part two for <laughs> sure. I think uh, Max got plenty to say. Um, you know, he, those anti fat loss uh, brain cells of yours are just, they're jiving. I'm not anti fat those loss. Those gurus, you know, they're just. No, this was no, this was great. I love fat loss. I love that Mac actually thinks that I think he's anti fat loss. I love that. <laughs> I know you're not anti-fat loss, but your, your incessant justification of not being anti-fat loss shows me that you don't know that. I love it. Yeah. That's enough. all we've got for this month's episode. I'm sure that you guys took plenty away from this. Thank you both uh, for your insights and we'll see you all next time. Thank you very much. Thank you.